Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast. This is a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm, of course, your host, Pastor Brad Gray. I serve as the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church in Paxinus, Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah, it's been a little while since I've uh, talked with you, shared with you, chatted with you uh, via this medium. Uh, I'm glad to be back. I took a little lull. Um, maybe I was in a little lull, I don't know, uh, regarding uh, recording, and but I've been able to have some good conversations, and there's just been some thoughts that have been uh, kind of building uh, that I need to kind of get out, and I think that uh, recording podcasts is the best way to do that. So um, I think that's in a weird way, that's what this podcast has become is not, you know, it was a weekly thing. And then it's now become more of like, hey, uh, let me just let these thoughts kind of, <laughs> kind of build up until I can't hold them any longer. And that's, uh, fortunately, I have some, some shows lined up that I'm excited to share with you, including today's. Um, uh, anyways, if you want to know where I've been, that's where I've been. <laughs> Just kind of letting thoughts kind of gestate, letting them uh, kind of marinate inside as I... Uh, I don't want to be too quick to share stuff, you know? Like, I don't want to be too quick to... Just give my take on a certain thing. Uh, I want to let things kind of naturally progress and let uh, let the Spirit do His work in in me as I seek to honor Him and as I seek to uh, become more like Christ. Uh, I think that comes with discernment and that comes with spiritual maturity. And I'm not saying I'm spiritually mature by any stretch. Uh, just that um, I, I don't want to be reactionary at, at times. And so, anyways, the, that's where I've been. Uh, I've been preaching a lot. I've been uh, doing a lot of, of of ministry work, and this summer has been uh, a summer that's poised to be busy ministerially, and uh, I'm really excited about that. I, I, this is the ministry uh, summer that I was hoping to have, uh, except last year we got a little bit delayed in that. <laughs> uh, so we're doing all kinds of stuff with uh, vacation Bible school, some uh, short-term missions t- teams here at Stonington Baptist, uh, just other evangelists 
evangelistic outreaches. There's two revivals that are happening in uh, my uh, in my area uh, in the central Pennsylvania Valley that I am just humbled that I get to be a part of uh, speaking and preaching at those. And um, I'm just glad that we can be seeing the Lord do work, seeing the Spirit uh, move on hearts and lives. And uh, that's an exciting time. Um, so uh, that's where I've been. That's what's going on. Um, I'm going to do some um, some sort of like sermon catch up, if you will. Um, and then I'm going to going to introduce today's conversation. Uh, I'm going to try and keep this part brief because I know the conversation that follows in a little bit is a little bit lengthy, uh, but I know you'll benefit from it. Uh, I'll just tease it like that. Um, so this past Sunday was the 27th of June, and uh, I was able to speak actually three times on Sunday. I was filling in during our Sunday school hour, and I preached both in the morning and the evening services. Uh, and so just some quick um, recaps on what I was talking about, and hopefully what, if you were there and you're listening, you'll be able to be reminded of kind of how the Spirit was moving, but also if you if you weren't there, you can and kind of be encouraged to do your own sort of study and investigation on these on these passages as as well. Um, during the Sunday school hour, I was in Psalm 131, uh, which is a really interesting little passage. It's only three verses, uh, so it it constitutes one of the shortest chapters uh, or the sh- shortest Psalms in the entire Psalter. But what I found is that as I let that passage really just kind of marinate is that it presents, I think, one of the best pictures of the Christian life, uh, one of the best pictures of what it means to be uh, a faithful son or daughter of the king, which is that of a weaning child. Uh, David there in Psalm 131 talks about that, that I've become, I've behaved and quieted myself, as he says, as a weaning child. Um, So this idea that uh, that we who are the faithful sons and daughters of God are those are no more powerful <laughs> uh, than a, an infant who is nursing on its mother, um, and which is to say that we are completely powerless and dependent. We that to me that was the that was the whole sort of uh, theme. I guess you could, the sermon and the sentence. If you will, it's not even a sermon. It was a Sunday school lesson, but regardless, the sermon and the sentence for that is that that the life of faith is the life of blessed dependence, just uh, complete resignation over my own uh, will and and sort of predisposition to control um, my own life. Uh, that actually leads to. Uh, the uh, to me uh, having a, a life of of tension and and unrest uh, restlessness and David has actually learned as he says here in the psalm to have a a settled instilled faith uh, the settledness and stillness uh, that you might find with a child who's nursing on its mom and I, I think that that is a profound picture. Uh, he's learned that through the sense of he's been brought low through the course of his life, and he he knows he knows that he cannot do anything for himself. It's only his father's faithful love. Um, Octavius Winslow writes in one of his books that the life most blessed to us is the, and most honoring to Christ is a life of believing and perpetual dependence upon God. 
And I find that to be so incredibly true and so incredibly poignant in terms of this particular psalm. Psalm 131 may be short, but it's super profound in what in, in, in what it contains uh, in terms of how to live the Christian life and what that looks like. Uh, it doesn't look like um, someone who's totally got everything figured out and everything together. Uh, it looks like an infant who's nursing on its mom. That's how powerless it can sometimes feel, but that's how blessed it is, because that's our Heavenly Father. Uh, in the Sunday morning service, so that was Sunday school hour, uh, in the Sunday morning service, I got back into my sermon series going through the books of First and Second Kings, which I have just been so delighted to, to engage in, to study. Uh, these are really, really powerful books, I have to say. Um, I have just been so captivated by how timely these these narratives are. <laughs> and it shouldn't be a surprise to me. It shouldn't be something that I'm caught off guard. But again, I'm sort of caught off guard by how timely some of these chapters are um, and how they speak so well to our current moment. Um, we d- Human nature doesn't really change. It just gets new opportunities to vent and display its depravity. And uh, I think you learn that through these books of First and Second Kings, that we haven't really changed. We haven't really uh, evolved, other than since that the only thing that's re- evolved, if you will, is our ability to manifest our depravity. Um, and I think that that's certainly true in the passage that I was uh, studying and examining this past Sunday, which was 1 Kings 14, which brings the whole sort of narrative arc of the story of Jeroboam to a close, and a close that's rather tragic. Um, And really what I was hoping to stress, and I pray that the Spirit uh, brought this to your mind, is the importance of the Word of God in the life, in in anyone's life. Um, It's the tether, I would say, to a life of faith and hope and peace. It's the Word of God uh, and our response to it. And there's this incredible scene in which Jeroboam and his royal family are struck with this tragedy of his son Abijah, who is suddenly seriously and severely ill. And it's fascinating to me that this that Jeroboam, this king who has always seen himself as the authority in all matters of life and faith and practice and policy and and all these sorts of things that he now has to ask for help and who does he turn to he turns to um he turns to jehovah and it's interesting to me that that's his first resort which this is one of the ways um that i was i was just so struck by this particular moment because because Jeroboam has not been a guy who has resorted to the word of God at any point in his life, except now when the chips are down, he turns to God and he he hopes that God will come through for him. Which is interesting to me because it's it's so indicative of the human heart. It's so indicative of human nature to to not want anything to do with God except for a crisis. Um 
and I think this is the narrative. This is the point of the narrative is that it's, it's a fallacy to assume that God will come through for us if we've never, if we've never had God be a part of our life in the first place. This is the whole point of the word of God. It's, it's the point of that, that it is his earnest desire that he and the believer would be in a relationship with one another. And yet how, how presumptuous to assume that that God would come through and make life easy when we've when we've neglected God we've kept God at arm's length we've never engaged with his word at all and yet such is what Jeroboam was doing he was so adamant that life proceed on his on his terms in fact let me read for you a little pair a passage that I found so helpful in a new book that I, I've began to read, which is uh, Dale Ralph Davis's The Word Became Fresh. Now, Dale Ralph Davis, to uh, you should know, uh, his commentary on First Kings and Second Kings has been immensely helpful. And here he gives, in this book, The Word Became Fresh, he kind of uh, sort of jumps off uh, those commentaries and just proceeds to talk about how to preach from narrative texts like this. And so when he he's actually has a paragraph where he sort of parrots his own commentary on First Kings, but he takes a little bit of a different twist, and he says, quote, When we focus on Jeroboam's procedure here, referring to First Kings 14, doesn't it open up a path for application? Commendably, Jeroboam wants the word of God in his trouble. Not so commendably, he has ignored that word throughout his reign. He wants to hear that his son will recover, but he doesn't want to eradicate the bastard worship he has injected into Israel's bloodstream. He wants God's word to alleviate his distress. He does not want it to set his, his course. He wants that word for his relief, but not for his rule. He wants to use, but not to follow God's word. He welcomes it as a horoscope to give light on his present dilemma, but not as a compass to direct his whole journey. It is a resource he consults, not a regimen to which he submits. He needs its comfort, but wants none of its correction. The word of God has become a prostitute for temporary use only. Once we see this Jeroboam pattern here, we immediately recognize that we see it repeatedly in the course of ministry. One frequently finds people eager for Jesus' aspirin, but not interested in his kingship, end quote. I find that so profound. Um, and that's certainly not the only, of course, as, as Davis there notes, that's not the only application we can make out of that passage. But to me, it's the one that leaps off the page. Where's God's word in your life? Is it just the thing that you go to when times of crises are all around you? Or is it your lifeline? Is it the thing that you strive to live in, to live under, to live with? There is a huge, huge, I think, dearth of scriptural uh, discernment, spiritual insight that comes from engagement with the scriptures. And I would say it comes from relegating the scriptures to only a fire extinguisher. How significant is the is the scripture for you? How significant is it to you? I would pray that we don't treat the word as if it's just there for when things go bad. It's, it's there for every waking moment. 
that was really where I was going with that particular sermon. I pray that you'll listen to it. I was extremely moved, just even in my own heart, to have the scriptures be uh, be my my delight and my stronghold, not just the thing I resort to when the chips are down. Um, now, transitioning really quick, and then we'll jump into what we have next, but uh, in the Sunday evening service, I was able to continue uh, preaching through the Philippians, uh, Paul's letter to the Philippian church, and we were examining uh, the, 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 that really significant portion. Actually, you know what? I, I just made an on-the-fly decision that I'm going to save this little segment for next week's show, uh, just because I think it'll fit a little bit better with what is what I want to talk about next week uh, in next week's podcast. So um, just know that listen to listen to that sermon on Philippians chapter one. It's called Christ Our Joy Part Four. Uh, I talk about Philippians one twelve through twenty six. Uh, listen to that, and you'll kind of get a head start in terms of where I want to go uh, talking about that particular passage, but I don't want to prolong uh, this particular episode longer than I necessarily have to, but uh, regardless, um, there's a lot I want to cover. Uh, Paul's testimony in verse 12 is so profound, but so is his testimony in verses 5 through 15 through 18, excuse me, um, and it just, I think, applies so well to our current day, so I'm going to save those topics for next week, and uh, hopefully you'll be, um, that'll kind of give you a little bit of a tease uh, to listen and tune in next week, as I hope to continue chatting through some of those things. So, uh, right now, what I want to do instead, so I'm going to save that portion, save that segment for next week. What I want to do is uh, introduce to you today's conversation, then we'll hear a word from uh, the sponsor for today, which of course is Fresh Roasted Coffee. But today on the show, I'm thrilled to just share a conversation I was able to have with my dad, uh, Pastor Mike Gray. Uh, my dad pastors in Taylor, South Carolina. He pastors uh, Colonial Hills Baptist Church, where he's been since uh, the late 90s. And uh, I'm just so thankful for for his uh, heart for ministry, his faithfulness in ministry over the years, and just how God has used him in just such a profound way. Uh, he's used him in my life over and over and over again. And um, I was just blessed. He was visiting, vacationing a couple weeks ago, and uh, I was just blessed to have the time to talk with him, sit down and chat with him, uh, kind of catch up on the past year of ministry, which, as you might know, is was a little bit difficult, <laughs> uh, was a little bit uh, harder to uh, sort of understand what God was doing over the last year, course, uh, last months of ministry. Um, so we chat about that, and we talk about seven reasons not to leave your church, and just some other uh, church membership wisdom. And so I hope and pray that this episode is a blessing to you. Uh, this conversation is, it, it, I found it so just tremendously helpful. And so I hope that you are able to uh, derive some benefit and blessing out of it. So anyways, this is my conversation with my dad. Uh, before we get there, uh, here's uh, just a quick word from today's sponsor, Fresh Roasted Coffee. Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. 
fresh roasted USDA certified organic coffee beans. Ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. And now for uh, the conversation with my dad. Uh, last time we were on the show... I think it was like a year ago or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> seems like a lot has happened in the last year. <laughs> uh, I don't even know where to, where to begin, <laughs> but it seems like, it seems like 2020 was the year of like, everyone gets baptized by fire, so to speak, in terms of ministry. And even, I think, cause I remember this conversation that you and I had when, you know, everything was going on. And I was like, I, I remember expressing to you, I don't remember having a class on this in seminary. And then you responded, yeah, I don't remember that either. Which is just to say that like, I think everyone's in the same boat, so to speak. <laughs> well, there's no way that you can teach in a class what we've been through this past year. And it's been a strange one because I think in a lot of people would say the same thing. It feels like it was a blur and yet it felt at the strangely at the same time it felt like it was a long year yeah it's a strange it was a strange uh feeling but i'm glad that uh some of that is in the rearview mirror but it it shows us a lot of things i think it it maybe hopefully prepares us for the potential problems that could come again in the future I don't know that we're necessarily going to ever uh, maybe end these type of things now that it has been perpetrated on the population of the world. Yeah. They, you know, who whoever is responsible, you know, is now now knows what they can do and how they can do it. And so we may be facing it again as time goes on, who knows. And I think for the church, you know, I've even told our folks this, that I hope that the lesson that it has taught us is really not to take it, take for granted what we have. Yeah, the idea of of the gathering, so to speak, should not be a blessing that's taken lightly. Like, And I think that that's sort of the uh, – we can get into this in a little bit, but just like that's one of the big lessons for me is like <laughs> uh, it, I, I feel like there has been a little – you know, almost a familiarity with church so much to the point where like we don't have to make as much of an effort because it'll always be there. And that's good in some senses, you know, like the church will always be there. But in other senses, we don't have the sense of urgency, I think, that's needed when it comes to assembling and gathering. Like, you know, the writer of Hebrews, you know, he, he has that very familiar charge, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And I think I've... I've 
leaned into that charge a lot more than ever before just because we shouldn't not now not ever like regardless if there's a a lockdown or whatever <laughs> i think that's exactly right and i think that you know for me personally it has also hit home that we we had better really take uh advantage of what we have right now because it can be taken away very easily we're seeing that even in our neighboring northern country of canada mm-hmm. where the authorities have really clamped down on churches and pastors and you know I, again i think personally that they have used the pandemic as an excuse to exploit their power and authority over churches and whether we like to think about it or not that could spill over the border into america very easily i think and so i i agree i think in it, it really need we really need to wake up the church needs to realize that how things have been may not uh, may not be in, down the road how they will be uh, in the future. And so I think that, you know, for for a lot of people, I think it has been an eye-opener. I mean, people have mentioned to me that, you know, man, you know, we really missed the fellowship and, and realized that that's such an integral part of why we are the church and why yeah. we get together. And so uh, I'm 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 hoping that, that that that's the case. And again, you know, I don't have a problem, you know, with churches and in how many times they meet. That's up to them and their congregations, and they have to do what they know is for them what is best. But I will say that churches that continue around our nation, even after this, especially. If they're if they're starting to think about or or consider elim- continuing to eliminate services, I think they better rethink that, because if you're if you're only meeting one time a week, and again I, I'm not saying that that's you know sinful or or whatever, but you know again if something ha- happens, you're going to be starving your people, mm-hmm. and so I think pastors really need to rethink. That and it goes along with the verse that you mentioned. You know, it says about assembling ourselves together so much the more as you see the day approaching. So it's not it's it's not gathering less as we approach the Lord's return. It's more. Yeah. Well, and I think for me, what I've leaned into in that verse is like the 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 very physical, tangible assembling, because I think. At least for me, and I don't know if anyone else can relate to this, but like what the what this year and a half or however long it's been, <laughs> it's felt like five years, but however long it's been, what has shown I think is like the very like the thinness and the fragility of quote digital connection, and so this idea that you know you can have quote church online i think is such a fallacy and i think more than ever i think we've seen that because throughout this year because people who were you know and and i'm not saying that like people who join in on church online is is necessarily always bad but i think it's not sustainable is i think the thing that i've come away with is like live stream a church service is good and convenient for people who are in specific situations but it cannot be the norm um, because I think we were created, we were created to be uh, embodied with one another and connected to one another with flesh and blood, so to speak. And so like when that is cut off, 
I feel like there's a part of us that we feel like is missing, even if we can't even like identify it or, 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 or quote, like articulate it or anything like that. To me, that's, that's the thing that jumps out. Like, no, uh, it's not like you said, it's not like the number of times we assemble, but that you assemble in flesh and blood. That's to me, like the thing that I think is what makes the church, the church, whether you're assembling, you know, on a Sunday morning or Wednesday evening or, you know, however, whenever it's, that's what makes the church, the church is that physical assembling of the saints together to hear the word spoken and and proclaimed. And to me, that's what's, I've learned <laughs> live streaming church is not a sustainable model for church growth. <laughs> I agree. And I think that those who really understand what the church is all about and what it's for understand that. And and the key word that you said there is sustainable. I I think that most pastors would say thank God for the technology. Yeah. Uh, you know that's something that that I was very appreciative of during during those months. That okay, we we're not closed off completely. We're able to reach, and in fact, we were able to reach even maybe more outside the confines of our own church and community because of technology. And that's that's a wonderful thing. But but I think again, those who truly know what the church is and what it's about, there's that that innate sense that. While this is this is okay, it's not. It's just not right. Mm-hmm. It's not natural <laughs> yeah. for us to be, you know, on you know having a, a Zoom church. <laughs> and and I think you know there and there were some you know guys who were coming out and saying, well, you better get used to it because this is the way the church is going to be from now on. And I you know I just I disagree with that. And and I think you they had better be careful because they're playing into kind of a consumer. Uh, mentality and philosophy of church, which is so prevalent in America. And and I think, quite honestly, the reason why we've seen a decline in attendance, and, and it started happening even before the pandemic. Let's let's be honest, I think that some of the decline in, in attendance is because for Americans especially, church is just not convenient. Hmm. It's just not convenient to our lifestyle, our schedules, and so uh, it's it's kind of a pain that that we we have to get up, get our kids dressed, and go and 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 I think that's sad. I think that that that's kind of a sad thing that that we have gotten to that point. And again, I go back to the fact that maybe pastors need to consider having more times together with their church family. Now, I and, I, and I'm not one who says, you know, I've never had the philosophy as a pastor. And I learned this from, from, from my dad, that you you don't have something scheduled every night of the week so that you... Burn it, people out. Well, yeah. in, burn people out or encroach on family that that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. But But yet, again, maybe the pendulum has gone too far the other way that... We've become too like isolated and separated in our own little lives instead of doing life together. Right. Yeah, I can see that totally. Well, I, it, well, and I, I, you know, the the other aspect that what I've seen as far as a result of all of this is that I think some a statistic across the board has been that 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 churches uh, have been affected uh, at least at the very least, 10% of every church 
as far as their membership has been affected. Mm-hmm. And I, though, you know, I talk to pastors that, that are friends of mine in different parts of the country, and all of them have been affected by the pandemic in the sense that some have not been back since probably last March or April, somewhere around in that area. And some have and some have indicated that they will not be back. Yeah. And I know you've had that, I've had that. And I just, uh, that that's a sad uh, result, I think, of all of this. So, you know, the, 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 the back door to the church, you know, you, you, there are books about this, the back door, closing the back door to the church. It, it's always been that way. And again, the problem of people leaving church is... Can you just explain what you mean by that, just for people who don't know what, quote, the back door well, of the church Well, it, it just means that, that, that <laughs> they are exiting the church, that they're leaving the church that, that, that they've been in or that they've joined, they're a member of, and have been for maybe some time. It's a, it's a, it is a perpetual, ongoing issue in every church that I know of. Every pastor talks about it. I think what it did, I think what this did was it kind of um, uh, made the, the doorway wider, it <laughs> yeah. seems. Yeah, it opened up both doors. Yeah, <laughs> and there's always, and, and you know what's interesting too is you, you, there are certain issues that if you start looking at resources for as far as a pastor, this is one of them that you will find a ton of of things written about people leaving or you know things like that and and that's sad mm-hmm. that that this is a this is an ongoing issue with uh with with people even even pre pandemic years mm-hmm. uh and so I mean, and I've got I've got some things here that that we can go through, uh, if you want to kind of go down that avenue a little bit. Yeah, I do. I, I just remembered what I was going to say. Only to say that, like, to me, that your your emphasis on like convenience of church is to me the most glaring thing that has come up because I, I think with anything, suffering trial, those sorts of things, they don't re- necessarily like do new things, I think they reveal things that are already existent in very, like, striking lights. So, you know, putting that that sort of prism on top of the pandemic, it's been like it has revealed just how convenient and comfortable we were with the, quote, routine of church and all that kind of stuff. And so when that was shaken up, like, we were given exactly, I think, what we have always wanted, which is especially in our generation, which is the Netflixing of church. Like we can take it or leave it depending on what's going on. We, we can just pop it on our TV if we need to, and we can be in our pajamas and drink coffee while we go to church. And I'm not saying that's always bad, but I'm saying it's, I think what at least I pray has happened is that we have, you know, and I'm, when I say church, I mean, capital C church universal that we've seen that that's, I hate to use that word again, but just it's not a sustainable model for to be the church, if I can say it that way. Like, because I don't think I think what you said is right. That's not what the church is. It's it's that's good for specific reasons. But the Netflixing of church has been the thing that stood out to me the most, and hopefully, the the thinness of that has been revealed. Crisis moments always reveal maturity. Yeah. 
or or the level or the the level of it or the lack of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I think in, in even in our own individual lives, that's true. And and what what we find out is that <laughs> when we when we go through things, you know, crisis moments or whatever, it, we're maybe not as mature as we think we are. Yeah. And and I and again I I'm painting with a very broad brush there, but I think that that's true. I think certainly for the American Church, it's true that it, it has really revealed where we are mm-hmm. as as a church. And while we have, I think, great and good solid churches across this land, we've got some great and and good pastors and preachers. Taken as a whole, though, I I I wonder what what grade we would get. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, I you know. I, I think uh, again, we we tend to think, oh well, it is at least an A minus. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I I wonder if we're passing yeah. in in God's eyes. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder too. Like, I don't want to like get too quote prophetic, but. This season, I think, has more than anything been like a, a weeding out of church affiliation. I don't, I, maybe I'm getting ahead of what your list is, but I feel like what has happened, you know, like Paul talks to Timothy in the pastoral epistles, you know, there's going to be a great falling away. And I'm not saying that this is that, you know, making a one to one correlation there, but there has been a a slight falling away. And, but, there's part of me that says that that's bad, but there's another part of me that says that that's a good thing. Like, maybe it's the pruning the church needs in order to be stronger. Like, do you think that that's do you think that that's legitimate, or do you? Think I think that, that's a very valid point. Uh, I think that any time pruning takes place within a church, that it 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 will strengthen. But pruning is a painful process. Yeah. It's not. It's not a fun process. No. <laughs> But it is a necessary process, and the 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 problem is is that people don't take the time to think about that yeah. that it is good for us and and the 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 dross you know to use another scriptural term the dross that is there that needs to be taken away so that the that that the church and we as individuals can be pure it's absolutely necessary it's not comfortable. But it it is really it, it it's really important. So so yeah, it, it it there's there's that side of it as well. I think that is important for us because I've I've felt that in 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 my church, and I, I pray that you can as well. But like the people that we have maintained as as faithful, involved church members and attenders, I feel like have almost leaned more into that like with the necessity and the importance in upholding what the church is and what it should be even through all this which i think lends itself uh, to a church that develops into a really strong healthy family yeah. and so there I, I keep going back to those verses in uh first peter one where he talks about you know you're being put in the furnace and you're being refined it's just that like that's that purification process of any alloy you know an alloyed metal that goes into the furnace and it comes back out purer but it comes it has to go through that burning first it has to go through that intense heat before it it comes out you know as it says as refined gold and and i'm not trying to be like sappy and saccharine in the in the way that i view the pandemic it's 
it's affected a lot of people in a lot of different ways. But I feel that my perception is is the fact that the church will hopefully come out stronger on the other end of it in certain aspects. Maybe attendance will be down, but maybe involvement will be up. And and I, I don't know that. At least that's what I'm praying for. <laughs> yeah, and I think that you know only if there's pastors who are listening only they can really truly relate to what i'm about to say but there are times where there are certain uh ones that you maybe are glad that god moves them on simply for the protection of your flock that that's that's somewhat rare though and and the struggle that pastors have is that if they truly have a pastor's heart no matter what, or no matter how long they have been attending or coming into your church, there is the automatic love and care that you have for all of them uh, immediately. Yeah. It's almost like you know the, a mother who goes through the the trial and the in the pain of childbirth, and but all of that as soon as the baby is born, all of that go flees very quickly. And, and and there's that, that instant love for that child. I've often thought that that's the way it is with a pastor. As soon as you have those come through your door, as soon as they start uh, attending, there is that, that, that automatic love that you have for them. You're willing to invest your life in them, and most pastors do that. And then the hard part is, is, is after you have done that, then some just leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... That is difficult, and and I'll add this: that the, the the most difficult part of that is some leave without saying a word, mm. without saying, "Hey, thank you for investing your life." And I think that would make it that would soften the blow a little bit if they would at least say, "Hey, you know, we we may have differences, or we feel like the Lord's leading us on, or whatever it may be, but thank you." Yeah. And, and and the hard part is is when you know some I, I call them the vanishing Christian that they just they just disappear. Mm-hmm. That is a very very hard thing for pastors to deal with emotionally. Um, and what maybe if if some of you are you know listening and you're not a pastor, you need to realize that that really really affects a pastor's. Uh, like I say, emotion, but sometimes it affects physically. You feel like you've been uh, uh, gut punched. Yeah. And um, um, you know the the five words that every pastor fears is pastor. We need to talk <laughs> because most of the time is going to be something uh, along that line or 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 something. So it's it's a and like I say, it's not it's not just one pastor or or. Uh, you know, one area of the country. I, again, like I'd mentioned earlier, the the back door of the church, people who are coming and then leaving, is an ongoing problem mm-hmm. within the church. So let's get to your your list. What's your list? About? Well, I found <laughs> I found this uh, little brochure years ago, and um, I'll, I'll give credit to Dr. Dale A. Robbins. I really don't know who that is, but I want to give him the credit for this little brochure that I found online years ago, and um, it's entitled Things to Consider Before You Quit Your Church. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting, and some may think this is a little ironic, but we, we actually we actually got permission to 
copied this, and so we actually put it in every new member's packet, <laughs> which sounds strange for somebody who's coming in, but what we haven't taught or 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 it, it, what we haven't uh, gotten into the hearts and minds of people is that you know you really need to think about some things before you just quit your church and and the consumer mentality in America doesn't lend itself to that you know and again i'm in an area where we have scores of churches uh, in fact, in our county alone, across the denominational spectrum, I think we have 800 to 1,000 churches. Yeah. So you have them on every corner. And, and in addition to that, we have some very good, bigger, solid uh, churches in our area. So it, it's easy where I live, maybe not as much, depending on the, the geographics in some areas of the country, where they can just go and they drive down the road from our church uh, a mile, and yeah, not, even know, a mile. not even a mile, yeah. and and that lends itself to to like I say the the salad bar sanctuary where I can mm-hmm. pick and choose, and again I don't have to resolve any problems I don't have to make sure I'm right with my brother I don't even have to tell my pastor I can just go. Yeah. That's a hard hard thing, and and I've noticed or I've had pastors retired ones and others from around the country who have said, yeah, I, I experienced uh, people leaving, you know, where I pastor, but I have never seen anything like this mm-hmm. where we live. So it is, it is where I live. It is, it is somewhat unique in the, yeah. in the intensity of it, but, but not the whole idea of it. Yeah. Cause <laughs> you know, conflict is never a, a fun thing to, you know, engage in. And so if you can just avoid it, I think the natural instinct would be like, let's just get out of here. Let's just, you know, pull the plug. And I think I would say the issue with that is, is that's part of what it means to be the church is to be in conflict, which like, it's just like a marriage relationship. You have issues and the, and the point is not to just, you know, disengage. It's actually to engage in that and then come out the stronger. Learning how to solve problems yeah. with, with one another. I think uh, that if people, if we, I, I'll say all of us, if we really, really put into practice even a fraction of First Corinthians 13 hmm. and those those first about eight verses that talk about you know, love and what it really means, we would not have the issue that we're having. But most people, let's face it, we don't know, we, we do not practice that. We do not put many of those things into practice when it comes to conflict or disagreement or opinion or things like that. But Well, it goes back to your conven- the, the convenience thing. It's not convenient to... Uh, have that type of conversation no, with no, a fellow no. brother and sister in Christ, or let alone a pastor. No. Um, but again, I think that that's to me that's where like the heart of of ministry is, only because that's what's going to make a church fellowship go strong, grow stronger together. Is precisely that you've been through difficult seasons, seasons that haven't been fun or enjoyable. And, you know, ministry is. It's not always those raucous <laughs> revivals. Sometimes it's 
it's it's doldrums of just plodding faith, and sometimes it's it's dark valleys of of intense uh, scrutiny and scandal. And but going through those, I think, are the things that are, that are what make uh, a pastor right. stronger, a church right. stronger, and a ministry healthier. And um, anyways. Yeah. Well, let me get to this list. There's yeah, there's there's seven things that we can just maybe briefly touch on because yeah. I know we don't have a ton of time. But the first one, number one, uh, things. So this is again, this is how to quit the, a church. This, well, it's it's entitled, and you can look it up. It's probably still online. If some of you wanted to use it as a resource, it's yeah, called it's called things to consider before you quit your church. And, uh, you know, I've even thought about preaching through this at some point, and I may. But number one, don't have a church, um, excuse me, the print's small in here, I can't read. Don't leave a church out of your personal discontent, and that's number one Mm. on the list. And and that is just, I I would say this, and I've had uh, a very seasoned man who, has been in ministry, uh, well, he was probably in ministry for 60 years or more, mm. who would agree with me on this statistic that at least 95% or more who leave the church is not because of doctrine, it's not because of interpretational issues, it's because of personal opinion and personal preference. 95% at least is the reason. And that, it, and, and I, will, I will say this, that is not a reason to leave a church. Yeah. But but it that's what it comes down to, yep. many many times. Yeah. <laughs> and because again, I I look at it as again, here's an opportunity to to reconcile our differences, to work these out together, to come come to some sort of consensus. Though we may, we may never see eye to eye, but as brothers, we can work this out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people listening need to understand that. If you're in a church and maybe there's uh, something that your your pastor does that maybe is not your personal preference, you don't have to agree even with your pastor 100% on everything in order to be uh, a support and, and, a, and a member who is um, avid and active. You don't have to agree with your pastor 100% on everything. Yeah. Now, it's nice to see eye to eye, but... When are we going to do that? And with whom have we ever done that? <laughs> well, I think it goes back to that uh, that tried and true struggle is that we've confused unity with uniformity. Um, the church is not a uniform body of 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 people that think the same, talk the same, act the same, all everything the same. It's there's going to be differences, and the only thing that's the same in the body of Christ is Christ Himself. And that's what unifies us. But I think we've right. we've con- we've intermingled that idea with other things to where we all have to have the same sort of preferences and opinions on every single right. matter. <laughs> and now number two goes right, go, goes right along with this. It kind of builds on this. And, and here's number two. He says, don't leave a church because you transferred your own personal frustrations there. Mm. And here's what he, go, he, he goes on to write. In, in that paragraph, he says, avoid pushing off your feelings of disappointment from other areas of our life onto the church. Sometimes unhappiness towards the church is a derivative from other personal problems. And then he, you know, lists some of that. But 
that is very true as well. And and so the church becomes the easy target. The pastor becomes the easy target for personal frustrations and 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 again not realizing that the church the church is is there yes to help but it's not there as some sort of social organization mm. to to make all of your problems in life vanish away the yeah. the 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 church and again one you know I'll go I'll go back a, a step here for just a moment one of the things too that people don't realize is is that the church is for believers. Yeah. The church is for believers to gather to glorify the Lord and to worship Him as the psalmist says in the beauty of holiness. The church is not primarily there as an evangelical uh, tool. Although, and don't get me wrong, some don't shut me off if you're listening, but um, the, the church can certainly uh, participate and should in evangelistic functions, that's not that's not my point. My point is though is that when we gather on Sundays and when we assemble ourselves together, as we've mentioned, as the writer of Hebrews has written, it it is there for believers yeah. to gather to encourage one another, and then they in turn, as they're encouraged and they are, um, uh, you know, as they're praising the Lord for what He has done for them, they, as uh, believers, go out and win others. Yeah. And bring them into the fold, and so it, that's the ideal continual cycle that should be happening yeah. in the church. But there are so many again that that bring their problems. They throw it on the church. They say you solve it. You know, I you know I've always said I wish that a pa- as a pastor I had a magic wand and I could wave it and solve their problems. Pastors don't have that. Never have. Never will. But people think that we do. Yeah. <laughs> And and that's a lot of pressure sometimes when 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 there are life life altering situations that aren't black and white because <laughs> there's rarely I think a situation that involves a person in the church that has a black and white answer to just you know magically say and then all everything will just quell and disappear <laughs> and yeah there's no sort of like mystical you know, fairy dust that we can sprinkle on people to, um, you know, baptismal waters aren't magical (laughs) in terms of that. (laughs) Um, they don't possess that type of power. (laughs) Well, and number three builds on this. Number three is, and this is a biggie. Don't leave a church because your feelings got hurt. Mm. And we, we are prone to live by that. We, we live by emotion. We, we die by emotion in in our lives. We like the drama. I think we're we're living in a in a in a tabloid society. Everything is drama, and unfortunately, people live their lives. And, and again, it goes, this one goes back to number two. They transfer that onto the church. Mm-hmm. They get their feelings hurt over something again. Well, if that's going to be the case, then I'll just go somewhere else. What people need to realize is is that the church is not a perfect institution either. We're all growing together. The church is a place for people who are sick. It's like a hospital. And we're going there and we are receiving the the medicine and the the medicinal uh, prescription from the word. And so to 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 if if you're looking for a church and you're saying I'm going to find the ideal church, I'm going to find the one that you know, doesn't have any problems. Well, you'll be you'll be looking for a while. Yeah, you're gonna be looking forever. 
<laughs> you know, and, and and anybody listening out here, and and I'm serious about this. If you find one that has, uh, you know, everything right, and and you find the pastor who's perfect who doesn't do anything wrong, I want you to contact me because I want to find out who that is and where, yeah. where it is. <laughs> I would love to learn from that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's just it. it I, you know, I've never seen one. I don't know that there's one that exists. I've always said that ministry is broken people ministering to other broken people on how to cope with their brokenness. Like there's no, there's no perfection there that is realized other than the perfection of Christ that is ours by faith. But even that, when we exercise that faith in our daily life, it's going to be fractured. It's going to be a broken sort of holiness that we, that we practice in our daily lives. And what we <laughs> lack is the patience yeah. to make that happen. Yeah. Americans, again, and people think I'm picking on, on America, but it's who we are. And, uh, again, it goes back to Americans. Uh, here's, here's the, their, their thought is, okay, here's an institution. They, they, uh, they put out a, pr- a product, and so they're supposed to be an end result of that product. So it's very, it is, like you say, very black and white. It's very orderly. It's, and so here's supposed to be the result. And what they don't realize is that no, <laughs> the the result of you know final sanctification being set apart and being like Christ isn't going to even happen in our in our lifetime. It's going to be when we see Christ, we will be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So you know to to have this idea that well here is an institution I'm going there they're going to give me what I need and there's going to be a final product that I must. Uh, enjoy and have well, may, maybe not. I mean, we're all supposed to be part of the product of of exhorting one another daily, of iron sharpening iron, and so forth. So, well, I've talked to a seminary professor before just about that same idea. Like, we are. I think it's so indicative of American culture, and we can pick on Americans because we're American. <laughs> but like, we are in such a microwave, microwaved society we want everything in a couple seconds <laughs> you know it goes back to that 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 comedian that we both like Brian Regan you know he talks about <laughs> we can microwave pop tarts and he talks about if you have to microwave pop tarts you are too busy <laughs> but it's like i feel like we've applied the same thing to ministry and into our relationships with each other in the church where we want microwaved sanctification and that's just not a thing. Uh, sanctification and becoming like Christ and living as a believer in the church is much more akin to a slow cooker. Like it happens gradually, slowly over a long-term process uh, instead of just bing, zang, zap, it's done. And then look at me, I'm a, I'm, I'm a perfect, complete uh, believer. <laughs> I, I don't, that's not a reality that I think that you find in scripture <laughs> at all. <laughs> well, here's number four. Don't leave a church over trivial criticisms. Mm. And that one's tough. That one's tough because criticism is something that is hard to swallow. And, and everybody has a problem with that. Nobody likes it. And, and I will say this again for, for those who are listening. If most pastors quit the first time they are criticized or uh, as many times as they are criticized, there would be no pastors left. Mm, And people don't realize that, that most of the time they hear from those who are the critics, and those who really appreciate their pastors are the ones who are silent. And that's that's unfortunate. 
and I would say, and I would encourage again those who who might be listening to this, if if you haven't maybe sent your pastor a text or a card or an email or something along that line, um, encouraging him, do do that. There's a statement that I've I've heard and I kind of tweaked it for myself, but um, it is you know like I say, a card, an email, a text, or acknowledgement of appreciation for an individual is better than good intentions or a thousand thoughts unexpressed. Yeah, yeah. You know, we may think about that. You know, we say, man, I, I thought about you. Well, that's good, but, you know, sometimes people, not just pastors, but others need to hear that. That's part of exhorting one another daily. And, you know, I know um, Thomas Rayner in some of his great resources, he, he has mentioned the fact that sometimes the the as far as the pastor and and so forth they feel like they die a death of a thousand cuts mm, yeah. and that's why you have uh literally in some denominations you have thousands leaving per month uh from the ministry mm. and you know again it goes back to what we have already said there are going to be differences of opinion there are going to be differences of thought and philosophy sometimes and uh, even ideology or your worldview but you know what the lord tells us the lord says i want you to come together and do something that is humanly impossible but divinely ordained which is you come together in unity <laughs> unity in diversity is the is the great thing about the church you can have all those different things, but come together, and you don't center around man's things. You center around me, yeah. and I think we lose sight of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So how in that particular warning where he's, he's talking about don't leave over trivial criticisms, what would you define as something that's trivial? Uh, maybe not like a specific, or maybe you can give some specific things to slot into that, but... Because that seems like a broad sort of uh, definition. You know, trivial can mean a lot of different things to different people. So, what would you say is a well, good way to keep that like grounded? As far as um, like what define what's what can be defined as trivial? Well, it can. You know, you've experienced this. How you know? I think a lot of times it's the method in in the way things are done. Maybe mm -hmm. um, you know, pastors get criticized for. Um, maybe the way they took the offering or, you know, the order of service or, you know, things like that, that, you know. The are, service was too long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the service it, too it, short. Well, yeah, and it, it, yeah, I, I, I used to tell one that um, always kind of was jabbing me about the length of my sermons, which, you know, okay, whatever. But I was telling him, you know, you're, you're the the only meal in which you want to not get your money's worth, quote unquote, is a sermon. I said, you, you know, you want to get gypped, you want to get gypped on the sermon, but you don't want to do that in any other meal. <laughs> and yeah. so, but uh, I I think that it, it's it's little petty. Uh, again, it goes back to the personal things that people like to see things done a certain way, and we all do. Yeah. But again, for the sake of the whole, I think sometimes, you know, we just say, okay, that 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 that's not going to to um, hinder or harm or hurt 
and so we may we may overlook that. Pastors pastors have personal preferences too, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I know that at least for myself, and I know others, we look at things and you know we see people doing things that maybe in a leadership capacity, and you have to pick your battles, and you, you may like to see it done a certain way or or, or whatever. But sometimes you just think, you know, that's okay. Mm-hmm. It, it's all right. You know, they, they can do that, and I'm not going to critique and criticize because it's not going to hurt or harm the cause of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it can be a lot of little things. And that, you know, like I say, method, and it kind of leads to number five, which is avoid leaving a church over its style or individuality. Mm. Now, that one is interesting because, and and I know that there would be, a lot of different opinions on that because there's still a lot of people who like a certain style of music and you know this might get into the the and I don't want to go down this road but maybe dress and all that so I can understand that to a point mm-hmm. because uh I know that for me personally I prefer traditional music I prefer traditional hymns you know we are a weird church in America today that we actually still use hymn books and you know we don't think it's odd for you know to to sing in 4/4 time um you know and and so you know we are kind of the uh, the outliers uh in that regard now and I can understand that because your older your older generation uh are going to be for the most part the ones that prefer that kind of thing so that might be um something you know that would uh, make a person choose another mm-hmm. as- assembly, and I can understand that. But but again, I think what I would say for that point is don't let the 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 trivial things, you know, if they take the offering differently, if they do maybe have a little bit different style that's not way out there that you know is uh, kind of radical or whatever or woke to use the term today that's filtering into the church you know then then don't make that uh something mm-hmm. that you're going to base it on yeah. so i don't know what you think about yeah, that I, yeah I, I i can see that like because i think in terms of like when it when it the warning is talking about individualistic type stuff. I think about, you know, the, the way that perhaps a a ministry is operated. Like I can see like someone being a little bit more uncomfortable with worship style. And maybe that's to me, that might be a legitimate reason to, you know, perhaps find a worship, uh, like a place of worship where you can feel more engaged if it's so disengaging. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if that's necessarily Maybe it can be the chief one, but I think in terms of that particular warning, like, you know, I I was thinking there was a church that I heard of recently that, you know, instead of doing communion at the end of the service, they do it at the beginning. And like, that doesn't, that's, you know, there's no like, there's no like liturgical method to say like, this is the way the church should do it. So that's like, if you left a church over that, I think that goes into that sort of a trivial thing that you are you just can't get a hold of like how dare we take communion at the beginning of the service <laughs> that that to me is what i think of like there's little nuances there's little like things that i think churches cuz i i truly believe that each church body has a quote individual style that's unique to their people and their place and i think that that's important um that 
those little like quirks you might say uh ought not to be the things that like stand so out in front of us if that makes sense that that does make sense but unfortunately many people <laughs> many people do leave because of that oh i know and you know uh again i think on on rainer's site there was maybe a, an article about some of some of those very things of why people leave the church but you know i could give you a list that would probably blow you away as far as that you know i I'm one one family left because they didn't like our air conditioning system okay well what are we supposed to do about that you know so and I could I could give you others that it's just it's unbelievable, yeah. and and so I think I think you know people people do leave because of those minor things, and um, I think that's that's just really really uh, unfortunate mm-hmm. there. And I would say to people. You know, look, if you've been uh, in one part of the country and you've been raised in a certain way and, and you have your preferences and let's say, hypothetically, you moved out to a small place or small church out west, you're going to find it very different. Mm-hmm. And I think the operating, uh, the overall operating uh, uh, temperament and attitude you need to have, if that's the case, is grace mm-hmm. because don't expect that church to conform to you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if, if if the Lord moved me out west, I would realize, okay, they their music is not going to be like it is back where I am. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a little different. Their yeah. dress is going to be a little different. Their, their approach is going to be a little different. And I have to accept that. As long as it's not violating the Scripture or bringing, um, you know, harm on, on God's glory, or uh, you know, kind of overshadowing, uh, you know, him in, in in the scripture, and sometimes our worship can do that because it can, it can be very man centered. Mm. Uh, as long as they're not doing that, then then you know what? I should be able to come in and worship with with these people despite my own personal preferences. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's part of it too. Let me let me move on here. Don't, uh, here's number six, uh, don't leave a church when faced with self-conflict. Um, and, and I think what, what he's talking about there is that uh, a lot of times, and, and I've even had the people uh, tell me, you know, well, I know that I'm not really where I need to be spiritually, but I think the Holy Spirit has led me to leave your church. Mm. Well, how can that be? <laughs> If you're, if you know in your heart and in your mind you're not where you need to be spiritually, then how can you make such a significant and important decision like that? Mm-hmm. That's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I and and I think a lot of people do that. They will make the claim, and and maybe maybe it's it's true, but they'll make the claim. Well, I've prayed about it. I've brought this before the Lord, and sometimes you have to really wonder. You know, sometimes you have to really wonder whether that's that has been the case. If if they if they haven't been faithful, if they haven't been doing the basics of their own in, in their own spiritual walk, yeah. then how can they make the claim that that they have really bathed this in prayer, that they've made a significant decision? I I, I don't I don't see it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it goes back to that 
what we talked about at the beginning, which is we don't like engaging conflict, but also too, we, we like things to be really easy. And I think there's this sort of easiness that with which we approach church, which is to say that it's, maybe we can just say that sometimes leaving a church is not seen as the significant thing that it ought to be. Um, there's almost a casualness and there's perhaps a lot of different reasons for that, but there's like a casualness with which we say I can engage with this church and I can disengage. Well, (laughs) and I think that that's, that's kind of a good summation of those, of the six so far is just, we have a low view, I think of what it means to be a church member. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I would say, like, like, like we said at the beginning, that I don't think this is this is not a a this isn't a a byproduct of quote the pandemic. I think this is <laughs> this is a byproduct of sin. Yeah. <laughs> it's a byproduct of a lack of maturity in Christ and a lack of discernment yeah. in the faith. Yeah. So it's not like a there's I don't know if there's like a one specific like. Uh, blameworthy thing, but it's, I think it's a, it's a, an assortment of different things, but it is interesting to me, um, that there seems to be a, a low view of church membership and what that means and why we can just, again, it's like Netflix. If you don't like a show, you can just find a different one. And then, um, but eventually, so, <laughs> I don't want to carry the metaphor too far, but you know, it's like when you're searching Netflix for that perfect show and and then you find out two hours later, you still haven't found anything. You've just been scrolling churches for, or scrolling churches, scrolling TV shows for two hours without finding that perfect, you end up turning it off. (laughs) And I think that there, I don't want to carry that metaphor too far, but I feel like it applies in a lot of ways that if you keep scrolling through different church bodies to trying to find the one that really just, grabs you in and and pulls you in you're going to be searching forever that's exactly right and i want to you know reemphasize to those who are listening that this is not a gripe session between two pastors about (laughs) you know i think what it what the, the heart of it and i think every pastor that we know would agree is that that number one what we're seeing the trends are alarming number one as far as people leaving the church and, you know, pastors are, are experiencing it. And, and, and I know they always have, but again, the, the trends seem to be that it, it seems more so now. And the pandemic has obviously contributed to that. But also because I think pastors really feel it's almost like when a person leaves your church, it's almost like a divorce. Mm-hmm. And, or, or uh, it's almost like uh, an estrangement in your family. Yeah. It, it, it really affects pastors personally and and people don't understand that and pastors really have to sometimes suffer in silence they they go through the stages of grief mm. and people don't even realize that yeah. every time somebody leaves yeah. and and so again i want people here to to understand that your pastor loves you he cares for you he wants the best for you and so don't take that lightly don't don't uh, don't you know don't think that well you know he could care less if i if i'm there or not that is that is not the case at all and so you know i want to encourage you that way and and, and again this is not just the the negative this is to, this is designed to encourage uh pastors and laymen alike to really really think 
about these issues before you leave. That's mm -hmm. that, that's yeah. why we're going yeah. through this things to consider before you quit. Here's number seven. Don't leave a church until you have contributed in some way to try to help make it better. Mm. And I like that. I, I like how he ends on a positive encouragement and exhortation that, okay, uh, I may not like that, but I'm going to get in there and I'm going to roll my sleeves up and I'm going to, instead of criticizing and harping on things, I'm going to help. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that goes along with the pastor. There are some who, you know, I read a statement or a quote years ago that said, you know, instead of praying for a new pastor, maybe try praying for the one that you have. Mm. <laughs> and that might save some churches going through some, some toil and anguish. And that's not to say that sometimes there needs to be <laughs> some parting of the ways, uh, ways because of maybe pastors who are not doing what they're called to do and they're not, they're not doing it correctly or biblically. Obviously, that's the case. But many times, again, it comes down to personal preferences or or personal uh, antagonisms and disagreements and things like that that just ought not to be. Mm -hmm. And um, well, I like that charge because, it, as we said at the beginning, there's a sen there's a there's a sense in which when we're confronted with something that's conflicting, we want to again disengage. But I think. The charge of a church member or anyone who's in the faith is to engage in issues to either have them become reconciled or perhaps you will eventually come to realize that it is an irreconcilable difference yeah. and that is worthy yeah. of 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 leaving and moving on right. for right. but not for per se not not because you want to uphold your preference but you want to either a con you have concern for the church body that you're leaving or concern for your own spiritual health but i think that that is only something that's ascertained after you know work or engagement has happened with whatever issue is is stirring up that conflict or whatever it can't just be a quick uh, you know, you know, judgment of look at that. I'm going to leave it. Right. I think there has to be some sort of engagement with. Let's see if we can work through this this issue. Let's let's talk about this matter, or, or let's see if we can get used to this new style uh, and, and not be so quick to judge it as right. something that we could, just because we're unfamiliar with it. Well, and another statement that I've used a lot over the years that is important is that spectators always become critics. Mm. So, again, if you're not involved in, in, again, to use the word engaged in some type of ministry in your church, there is the dangerous potential that you will eventually become a critic instead of one who is help carrying the load. Mm. That, that is, I, I think that's important. And so I want to encourage every, everyone to find an area where the Lord has gifted you and you all have at least one gift that you can use for the body of Christ and to use that in your specific body yeah. Yeah. and because you will end up being a critic if you don't yeah. and uh, you know that's that is all part of what we're saying and let me let me say again here's here are two things that that I would also uh, advise or give counsel in is that you know, if you're if you're dissatisfied or or something is in, on your heart and mind, talk to your pastor. 
the 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 problem is is that sometimes we make the situation worse and and people even sin when they go and they start gossiping about the pastor or the, a deacon an elder a person another person in the church that that they are having trouble with or that they're dissatisfied with and uh, again i i am very strong in this is that if you have a problem with someone whoever it is including your pastor go to that person alone mm -hmm. don't make the circle bigger the ideal is that when you do that, you reconcile and you've gained a brother. And you know what? Nobody else has to know mm -hmm. that, that, ever, that that problem ever existed. Mm -hmm. And that includes your pastor. Well, I'm afraid to go to my pastor. And I've heard that before. It's intimidating. It's, it's kind of scary. It's like going into the principal's office. <laughs> well, okay, I understand. But you know what? Most of, most of the time you're going to find a pastor who, again, cares and loves for you yeah. and... It maybe maybe you do feel that way legitimately, but sometimes we are called to do the hard things that aren't comfortable, and you're going to find a pastor who will listen, and 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 and, and along with that, talk to your. Let's say you've got a disagreement or something that you've become dissatisfied with in the church. Talk to your pastor before you decide to leave. <laughs> yeah. The 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 one thing that really bothers me is that when people have uh they will text me, I think that's the worst way to find out or email me, that's a coward's way to find out that they've left a church. Um but but go to your pastor and talk with him when when the when when the uh, little bug bite ha starts, not after. You know when the not, little, not after it's become infected. Yeah. yeah, you know, talk to him then. Uh, most of the time, I've had people say, "Well, I'd like to talk after they've already decided that they're going." Yeah. At that point, there's not a whole lot you can do, yeah. and and I don't think it behooves um, a shepherd. A shepherd should not have to beg sheep to stay in his pasture, mm -hmm. and um, if he's doing that. Uh, you might not want that sheep there anyway because he's going to infect the others. Mm -hmm. And so I want to encourage all all the folks, look, don't don't let that I, I always call it the burr in the saddle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 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 by the way, in all my years of ministry, once a burr happens, unless you take care of it immediately, I've never ever seen it go away. Yeah. It always results in something negative and bad. Mm -hmm. Um and I've been in ministry thirty over thirty years, and so I've never experienced or seen somebody who gets a burr under their saddle. It's not good. So, with all of these counsels and perhaps warnings and just admonitions, what would you say is like? Um, and I don't want to be too reductionist, but like, what would you say is the quote the answer to these certain certain things? And you know, we can just say Jesus, but I. I don't know. Like, I don't want to end on. I, I want to end on a really positive oh, yeah, note. Yeah. So, oh like. yeah, yeah, I, I do too. <laughs> and 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 you know, that's that's our goal is to encourage both pastor and church member alike to to think about these things. And this may seem very generic. However, I th I think really, Pastor Brad, it is this: people have got to not only 
read the word, they've got to apply the word. Yeah. I was going to say, get in the word as well. The thing that I have, I think more than ever, like just come away with, and this applies not just to people leaving the church, but to the sustainability of church, like we were talking about after, you know, pandemic and lockdown, all that kind of stuff is, is there is a, there's a need, but I, I pray that there's a resurgence of let's get in the word and not just get in it to get my quote nugget, but let's get in it to to really delve into uh, the rich and beautiful uh, story that the scripture is telling us. It's a it's a story that's revealing Christ in all of these various ways and and forms and through all these different uh, for, uh, forms of literature, genres of literature, and 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 all that. Like seeing the Bible. As, as a book that has this this one thread of a story, to me, like when we are engaged with that, that to me, I think is where a lot of our, our health as, as faithful church members and brothers and sisters alongside of other faithful church members, th- that to me is where we will flourish and have have those connection points to be really strong. And I would say that one of the reasons why we have that quote low view of church is because we have a nonchalant attitude towards the scriptures. Uh, we can just read them when we want to or whatever. And it's our lifeblood. And, and, and what I've, what has changed my perspective on scripture is just, is just that seeing it as a book of revelation, a book of revealing the one who would deliver us from our sins. And like when you're captivated by that, I feel like there's there's just a a beauty on every page that is is not there if you're just reading it to you know get through your devotional list <laughs> or if you're just reading it to you know get get a spiritual nugget to remind yourself throughout the day but if you're reading it to to see how God orchestrates history to uh accord with his purposes and plans you know, there's that the verse that I have been struck with is Romans eight twenty eight. You know, where he says all things work together for good <laughs> for them who are the called and all that kind of stuff. Is yeah, we can apply that to in a cliched way, but I think even in our current moment, I've been reflecting on how is God going to use the pandemic for good? If all things work out together for good, then that has to mean this one too, and I would say. For me, it's it's been in a in a renewed appreciation and recognition of the sovereignty of God over history, <laughs> um, and the fact that all these little things that happen in in people's lives accord with one person's sovereign word. It's not just random accidents or happenstances. It's according with one person's sovereign control over our times and days. I agree. I think the Bible, we need to approach it with a theocentric concept, and and that is it's, it's about God, it's about His holiness, it's about our Savior. We tend to make the Bible um, man-centered yeah. and is a handbook for helping me get through the day. <laughs> well, it can, but... When we see God for who He is, when we, when we do see His sovereignty, like you mentioned, and that is all throughout the Scripture, then, secondarily, 
then I can I can learn how to get through the day. I can learn how yeah. to be uh, a, a good member of my church and get along with others. When I put God first and I put Him where He needs to be, then these things will fall into place. Maybe not always perfectly, but more consistently. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because we don't have a theocentric um, approach to the Word. It's about it's about my things. It's about my schedules. It's about my problems and my issues. And okay, and this is here to make me better. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so we we use it as some sort of handbook of therapy. Yeah. Which again, the Bible can do some of those things, but we've got to mentally. Uh, approach it differently, I think. Yeah. And and when we do that, when when we put God in His proper place, it 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 will solve a lot of the issues that we just talked about. There's a settledness, I think, that you find when you realize that every happenstance of Scripture is not happenstance. It's it's there to show you who your God is, like you're saying, it's very theocentric. It reveals the one who is above all things and in all things and controlling all things. Like, and I've, I've become to such a profound sort of grip on that, or at least I hope I have in, in my faith. It's just, well, I've been preaching through first Kings and there's a phrase that, you know, for my church people, they're going to be maybe tired of me repeating it. But in first Kings chapter 12, there's this moment when you know the the kingdom of Israel is divided into two separate entities, and this prophet comes into the room where where the king Rehoboam, who who is amassing this army to counterattack uh, this uh, um, the, those who broke off the tribes who broke off right, and the prophet comes in with a message from God, and he says, and, and God's message to King Rehoboam is. This thing happened from me, <laughs> which is a remarkable yeah. statement yeah. to think about the dividing of God's people happened because God allowed it or perhaps in his sovereignty purposed it to happen to reveal more of himself, reveal more of the, his, his people's need, perhaps, which I've applied that to the last several years of my own life, let alone the last year of of our life and in, in, in our churches. This thing happened from God, only to say that there isn't an ounce of our life, a second of it, that isn't under the sovereign watchfulness of of God. There's always something that He is revealing to us, either about Himself or about us, how we, how desperate we are for for His care and consideration. And I think that that is something that. I've just been moved by that prof- that the the profundity of scripture where uh, I think you always used to say this when when I was when I was still in your church is just that it you don't have to make the bible relevant <laughs> it already is the most yeah, relevant piece of literature that has ever been authored and it will always be the most relevant piece of literature that has ever been authored because it's a book that reveals timeless truth about the one who is yeah. timeless yeah. um and I've, I, I think this, this goes back to I think another thing that you have emphasized through your studies of hermeneutics that like when you read scripture, there's a there's a tendency sometimes to to like read it disconnectedly from the people that are in the historical books, especially mm-hmm. as if they were a different 
you know, a different race of people, right? That they, they weren't like us. <laughs> they were they were the ancient Bible people. Um, but if you read them like they were like flesh and blood like we are, which they were, you realize that they had the same sort of emotions that we do. Like we haven't changed very much. <laughs> yeah, I I I, th- I think as as far distanced as we are from the culture and and of course in time the the interesting thing to me is they are probably a lot more like us than we think. <laughs> oh yes, definitely. In many many ways and so we have to we have to we have to realize that. We have to realize that that you know, for instance those in Hebrews 11 mm. that are the the heroes of faith. Well, they were pe- flawed they were flawed people and they had failures and they had disappointments and discouragements and maybe even depression and um, in, in all of those things. But yet, when he gets to chapter 12, he says, okay, now that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, yeah. I think the witnesses is referring to those who have lived the life of faith as they should, and it's those people. Yeah. They realize the sovereignty of God. They realize all of those things. And he says, because you know you are there's a cloud of witnesses who are who are who are witness to the fact that this kind of life can be lived and lived successfully so what do we need to do let us lay aside those weights the everyday things that weigh us down that we put on our backs and what do we do focus on the author and the finisher of our faith man that is that as preachers say, those those uh, verses will preach. <laughs> will preach. I love those verses. And I think they will always preach because we have, as we've said and reiterated, we have a tendency to, you know, to. it goes back to the old song, you know, keep in the middle of the road. Yeah. Don't look to the right or to the left, but keep in the middle of the road. Keep your eyes on yeah. the author and finisher of your faith. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things, like, it sounds so generic, but the reason why that's like the heartbeat of scripture and it's the drum that's beaten yeah. is because we we forget it so much. Exactly. We need it. And that, and and I and I will just kind of take that and, and end our time here by by really I want to encourage again those who are listening. Do what Brad just said, keep in the middle of the road. If you're in a church, stay there. Hmm. Work there. Yeah. Labor there. Pray there. Um and and uh, just don't don't leave. Just stay and stay where you are and get involved and thank the Lord every day that you have a place to go to worship and that yes. you still have the freedom that you do to to be able to do that and be faithful. Faithful faithfulness is the watchword. And I want to say to the preachers, don't get discouraged. You're always going to have, you know, you're always going to have two things going on. And despite what we've said. You're going to have people continue to leave because people are who they are. People, We're all sinners. And um, you're going to have people still criticize because people are sinners. But, Pastor, don't give up. And you stay. And, again, as much as faithfulness is the watchword for your people, the same goes for you as well. And you just remain faithful to where God has called you. And don't don't... Uh, don't rely on uh, the accolades or the applause uh, and, and look at that as your your staying power or your identity. It's your calling yes. in, in the Lord. 
and he, he's your identity. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, this has been the Ministry Minded Podcast. I hope you've been blessed. Uh, feel free to connect with my dad, Pastor Mike Gray, again, and uh, he'll be glad to know that you were blessed uh, and, uh, that in the listening of this episode. Uh, leave a comment. Uh, I appreciate all your comments and your encouragement, your support, your 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 prayers. Uh, you're a tremendous blessing to me. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the Ministry Minded Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and uh, I'll see you on the next episode. Hopefully, Lord willing, it'll be next week, but regardless, uh, may God bless you. Grace and peace. Blessings. Blessings.